Welcome to Raising Equity. Tonight, we're trying something slightly different. You might have heard me talk about podcasting amidst the pandemic. And one of the formats that we're going to try out is different because, hey, we're all doing things a little bit differently nowadays. You're going to actually get to hear a voice that typically is behind the scenes. My partner, my husband, Aaron Banks, is joining me to think out loud about, oh gosh, so many things that are impacting us as a family unit and are probably impacting you as well. So I really appreciate him coming from behind the scenes to talk to me. Welcome, Aaron Banks. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on your show. Uh, so I so I think we had an idea. We were sitting on the couch talking about, you know, what could we do to keep people engaged and to talk about our experiences, like you said, podcasting. What is it? Podcasting amidst the pandemic. Amidst the pandemic, right? What you don't we, like my academic wordiness? No, I love it. I love it. It's great. It's it's a what is it? Alliteration too. It's it's kind of nice. It's that's academic, I suppose. At any rate, we were talking about you know what could we do? We sit here and kind of debrief. At the end of the day, we're still going on with our days. Of course, we are observing the quarantine. I guess that's not we're we're social distancing. It's not really well, quarantine. It's, it's kind of it's a stay at home. So we're not quarantining because we haven't been anywhere where we think we're exposed. But we're some people are causing calling it a pause. Some people are calling it a right. stay home. Some people are like stay the f home, stay the fuck home. You know, yeah, exactly. however you want to think about however it. However you want to think about it, stay that ass home is what I say. Hashtag, is that what you say? Well, among other things, but right, right. Right. But just, you know, we, we are, we're choosing to stay home. And for us, it was interesting. So beginning of March, I actually went to a conference at the National Academy of Sciences in DC. And I remember a colleague of mine not coming because she's immuno, immunocompromised. And her doctor was like, yeah, I'd rather you not go. And I went and it was the beginning of March, right? Like right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I came home, celebrated my birthday. We partied, we did it up, right? Mm-hmm. And then that next week, things started to shift and change. And I remember waking up and thinking, it was the Friday, what is that? The Friday the 13th. And oh, yeah. I remember thinking, yeah. this is the last day. Like I'm not going into the gym today. This just seems really dumb. So it, it, in a matter of literally a week, I had gone from traveling, doing what I do to deciding, oh no, I'm a not going. Traveling. A lot of traveling. Like yeah. I'm not going to the gym. Do we even make the kids go to school this last day before spring break? Right. I was clear that things were shifting. And so here we are, what, a week and a half in? Right. And you know what? It was Friday the 13th. Yeah, it was. That's kind of funny because the same day that you had that that epiphany, that mental switchover was the same day that I had it. Um, I remember being at work and working in the courts. Uh, I am a public defender in the city of St. Louis, so I spend a lot of time in the courts and seeing people in the courts that were sick. Mind you, I don't think that they were coronavirus sick, but at that time- We don't know. We don't know, right? Which is a whole nother, that's just a whole nother thing, right? But anyway- Remember seeing, because we're not testing. Oh, because sorry. we're not testing, exactly. But the timing of it all was interesting. So I remember seeing a, quite a few people. There were sheriffs, bailiffs, whatever you want to call them. More, more than I thought the normal were sick, coughing, and things like that. Of course, we're starting to get the information. People are starting to really understand the severity of the coronavirus at this time. And I have clients as well who are inmates 
in the prison or, or sorry, in the jail here in the, in the city, they're saying, Hey, Aaron, you know, um, I'm doing all right, but there are a lot of people in the jails right now and they're sick, they're quarantined, they're on the, whatever, the fourth floor. And so they're concerned about their well-being, which is a whole nother story and something else, which has been what I've been working on for the last couple of weeks is just trying to get people out of jail because of the coronavirus. But anyway, so at that same point in time, I think I realized that day, I was like, oh, wow, this is serious. It's getting real. Shit is getting real, as Cardi B says. And Coronavirus. <laughs> okay. And first of all, let us say that we're also drinking a little wine, right? Yeah, I guess we could be honest about that. We can be honest about that. Yeah. So we're drinking a little wine and we're having, trying to have a little fun and relax um, and make the best of a very strange situation. But as I digress to say that that was the day, Friday the 13th for me as well, when I realized, wow, this is serious and it may not be here yet, but when it hits, it's going to be a problem. At that same time was it was starting to come over. People were doing spring break. They were, were people returning from overseas from Europe and the virus had started. It hit in New York. It had hit a few other major cities. So I was reading, I'm seeing what other friends are posting. We're seeing what friends are posting in other countries kind of freaking out at that point. So I think that was the day that we actually started our, not quarantine, but our social distancing as a family. We decided, hey, okay, if we had the ability, we had the privilege, if you will, to, to say, look, things are dangerous. We have children with health conditions. We have some health conditions. Uh, we want to make sure that we can, we understood the gravity of the situation, how important it was to, to, to isolate. Well, and to be honest, so my university where I work had started to make some shifts. So they had right. started to make some noises about, you know, maybe we give this week to figure out if classes can go online. So rather than saying we will go online, it was this, well, maybe we take this extra time to figure it out. The other university in town had already said that by that through the end of April, they were going virtual. And so I kind of felt like it was a matter of time before my university was going to do the same. And I felt like, well, if my university is going virtual and I'm staying at home, there's no way I'm sending my children to school. Like I don't send them out to right. a Petri dish, dish of an institution if I'm being protected from being in a Petri dish of an institution. And so it, it just like my mind started to churn. And I think for a minute, Aaron, just be honest, I think you thought I was overreacting. And then you had the moment in the courts where you're like, oh, this is real. Yeah. And I think I had a chance to read, take in more information on social media. And that was when the whole flatten the curve thing started becoming, and it was something that I started to understand just from reading and saying, yeah, this is serious. And of course you, my wife, seeing you react and thinking about the consequences of our actions uh, and how serious it can be. Yeah. I guess I did freak out a little bit. You're right. You're yeah. Right. And I mean, that morning I went to Dick's Sporting Goods and got some weights so I could shift my workouts at home. And anyone who who follows me on Instagram or just knows me knows that my workout is a part of my life. It's part of what I do to stay, to stay, I think, um, just kind of I wouldn't even say sane, just like even keeled. It's a way for me to work through some of my emotions. And so, and I went to Costco and I have a friend who was like, well, you know, if you're talking about social distancing, this Costco is not the way to kick it off. And I was like, yeah, I hear you. And, 
Better now than later. Right. Like, I'm a stock up. And I saw, ended up seeing a friend at Costco and she kind of made fun of me because, I mean, let's just be real. I go to Costco every month and every month people are like, do you have 10 kids? I'm like, no, I just have two growing boys and a husband who likes to eat and I only come once a month. And so here I am with my cart full of stuff. Right. And so I saw a friend and she kind of chuckled at me and I will just say... Rakaya Yerby, know that I love you because I gave you a bag of broccoli and I'm missing <laughs> that bag of broccoli right now. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that day I really just make, made a shift. Like I'm going to Costco, I'm going to Dick's, I'm making this so that we can live our life. And I thought like a couple weeks. And I don't know why I but, thought just a couple weeks. But once I started digging into the information, the data, and I started seeing what's happening in Europe and China, I was like, you know what? This is going to look more like at least a month. No one was saying it. Nobody was saying it, but then people just started saying it there. And I, I wanted, I just remembered, I don't want to hijack the conversation too much, but I was, was getting to a point of what freaked me out uh, on Friday the 13th for me. Not surprised, but we had this message from one of the chief judges who was basically addressing the issue. At this point in time on Friday the 13th, it was very clear that COVID was going to be a thing. It was coming. It was inevitable. And I thought, surely, well... I didn't think surely, but I thought, okay, we're going to get some guidance on this from either my employer or from the courts because it's coming. We have people that are housed in jails. We have people that, you know, everybody comes in and out of the courthouse. It's non-discriminate kind of place to be. All sorts of people come in and out from, from the city of St. Louis and all around. And they, at the end of the day, we got a message or right around lunchtime, we got a message. And the, one of the first things they said was business as usual. I'm like, that's it? I'm like, oh, oh, hell no. This, this ain't going to work for me. I was like, I have my wife over here sharing, with, sharing information with me. I have other friends online sharing information. I'm reading this, and this is the best we can do. I'm like, no, we, we need to change the way we think and where, where we're approaching things because there's no way this is going to be business as usual. I knew that by the time we come back on Monday, things weren't going to be business as usual, and they weren't. They were different, and they slowly started to change, and they're still changing. Yeah. And we also, we were looking forward, or I should be clear, I, use my I statements, was looking forward to that next week because I had been on spring break that week. And then that next week, the kids were on spring break and they were going to go to my parents' house. And so I was going to have a week of work when I didn't have kids to take care of. And it was going to be- It was going to be awesome. Amazing. It was going to be incredible. And I had all sorts of plans. And then we looked at each other and we're like, yeah, this is not going to work. And I think you sent a text to my parents like, you can't have the kids. No, well, I don't think that you're, I think there's a little bit of a misrepresentation. So I did send a text, which is actually saying something because I sent a text to both of your parents at the same time. And I don't normally text them just out of the blue like that. But I said, hey, I appreciate the fact that you want to keep our kids. I think it's great. And, you know, I'm always excited for you guys to have them. And of course, we love it because we get some time to ourselves. But this ain't the time. I said, I think right now we all need to be preparing to kind of hunker down and we should do it sooner than later. And I never got a response back from them. But well, it's kind of like that same. It was that weekend when we all made the shift. My sister, you, me, we were clear. It was Friday the 13th. It was. That it we were was clear so that so much happened that our day. kids Bruh. were little germ bombs and we didn't want yeah. my parents to be sick. We love them too much. Like I would never It was a love text. I would never be able to live with myself if something happened to my parents. Exactly. And so it was that weekend where we also my sister said I went a little overboard. I kind of was just like don't go to church. I and now no, looking back You didn't go overboard. I don't think I did, mm-hmm. but 
as a child Sorry, Nicole. telling your parents what to do is a little overboard in our family dynamic. I don't tell my parents what to do. Right. I just don't, but I did. And you can make you make suggestions. They know you're a very I did more than make woman. a suggestion. Right. You, and so I also did not get a response. They I saw that they watched my polos for two days, but I did not get a response. You're a very kind person though. It's not like you would just bark at someone, don't go. You would give them the information and you would explain the why, the what's and the why's and the who's, and then you say, therefore, you should not go to church. I don't know that I said it that nicely. Oh, well then that's on you. Something wrong with you. Why'd you do that? Because they're my parents. And I'm just like, don't go to church. That was rude. And you need to apologize then. You know what? <laughs> if only people knew the irony of you saying that. It got real quiet. The truth. Will sometimes set you free. But first it'll make you mad. I don't think that's a saying. It definitely is a saying. It's Pharrell. Neptunes. Oh, okay. Anyway. anyway. Yeah. So here we are. Um, and yeah, so things have changed. And it was this, it was this point, it was our, there was a point where it was like everything had changed and everyone was on the same page. And then I feel like in this week, we've now flipped. It's like reverse. It's this... Now that Trump is talking about, oh, we're going to open up back up by Easter, like it for a moment, it felt like real alone together. We are in solidarity. Traction on the same page. We are on the same page. We are listening to our public health officials. We are understanding data. And then it was kind of like this stubborn child who's like, wait a minute, I'm I don't want to listen to data. I don't want to believe in science. Do we say that today is Wednesday, March 25th? That's when we're recording this, at least. So So just to give you some perspective from. February or yeah, March Friday the 13th. 13th. Right. March, Friday the 13th. Friday, March the 13th to now. Yeah. Right. Like we were all together and then now it's this whole thing around, do we put, do we sacrifice like Hunger Games? Do we, you know, let old people sacrifice themselves for young people, which is not how it's happening at all. Right. At all. And I think we need to be clear that, and I think you're saying as well, like we are, we were early adopters, I think, relatively early adopters to the we whole were. stay at home. We, I think we got it by a few days or uh, almost a week for a lot of people. So, But you know what's interesting? When I look at my feed of my friends who like just were like-minded, not that we even keep in touch closely and we like not people mm-hmm. that I talk to, a lot of people that Friday the 13th was a day of reckoning. Yes. I've noticed that too, because people are starting to say count how long they days. count their days in. And there's a certain group of people I'm seeing, oh, like, oh, you kind of been doing this about the same time as me. I think for me, it was hard because I work with a lot of younger people. I work with a lot of people that don't have children. And so even now, they're very much of the mentality, like, hey, we're going to get in there. We're going to do this. We're going to go. Like, you know, they're they're trying to get me to come in the court. I'm like, well, the, the court has been closed. Like, the building is actually closed. And our, you know, they've told us not to come in. So why am I going to come in and do this? So um, I'm like, there's other ways to go about arguing these motions or or sending this information. I think we need to be more resourceful. So that's been a whole nother thing with me, by the way, just trying to push people to adopt technology. I'm like, this is a thing now. This is, this is not the first time or the last time that this is going to happen. I think it's pushing people, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. It's pushing people to think about ways that we work. Um, my background, of course, you know, is coming from an IT background, working in IT for over 10 years. Then I switched over and uh, went to law school, work in the legal, legal profession now. And people are much less willing to adopt those type of technological 
tools and things that allow you to do work. I, I came from a place where you're co-locating. I work in one place, in one building one day, uh, other side of town the next day, and it's totally fine. Different when you're dealing with courts and government institutions, judges and lawyers, but I think they need to be pushed a little bit to show that, hey, look, there's ways you can do this work. It's great when we can be face-to-face -face and there's a lot of value to that, but there are times when we just can't do that and we can still advocate for clients. We can advocate for our, you know, whomever we're advocating for and we can still get the job done just as effectively. So I think that is one thing that's going to come out of all this. Yeah, I think there's a lot. Of, so one of the things that struck me is how quickly we, we shifted. So in academia, we often talk about academia being slow to change. Mm -hmm. And I think institutions can be slow to change. But we changed real fast. And it Changing, made me realize yeah. that like we can take a hard left when we when we collectively decide, collectively decide that we need to. And it's it made me think about like politics. So I was talking to a cousin of mine about Biden versus Sanders with the Democratic primary mm -hmm. that was coming up. This was before we had our primaries. And um he was saying, you know, Kira, when we've swerved, we've swerved, it's like when you swerve on ice as a country, we have swerved on ice. We are out of control. You don't do a hard left. If you swerve right, you don't do a hard left. You got to gently course correct. Because if you do a hard left, you're actually going to throw yourself into more a of a spin. Sure. And I said, yeah. So you told, because he was saying his son asked him who he was voting for. And he was saying Biden. I was like, so you tell your son that you're voting for the status quo and that you aren't ready for the revolution? And he's like, no, 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 no. This is the swerve, right? And so he gave me this analogy. But we, we did a hard left as a country. Yeah. We did. As a university, we did a hard left. Yeah. We extended spring break. We made everything online. And in a way, it's made me think, I mean, much of my work is just my brain and people's collective brains in a space. And that does not have to be in the same room. Does I have not. been no less busy. You have not. All of my things have been able to translate to virtual because all it is is us sitting around and talking and meeting and thinking. And in some ways that blows my mind and kind of like, frustrates me because I do so much sitting. Um, but on the other mm -hmm. hand, it's like, huh. Shout out to, was it Pandemic Pedagogy? Yeah. Yeah. The Facebook group that's popped up. How's that been supporting you? Uh, you know, at first it was really helpful. I haven't been on it as much. Um, but at first it was really helpful just to have a community of educators who were going through the same thing. Like we all were expected to do the same thing. And what I took from it is that we all need to lower our expectations. I've heard you say that so much. Of ourselves, you even of told our my students. dad that. <laughs> I did because he teaches. He teaches adjunct at another university. He's a retired state police lieutenant, and um, I think it's essential because not only do we need to lower expectations, because we are not pros at online teaching and learning, and there are people who are pros at this. Yeah, but this was unexpected, and our brains don't work when we're under stress, and we're all under stress. So true. I think Phoenix University is somewhere in there. Uh, I think they might be dealing with lawsuits and in their disillusion grave. Maybe you know, I shouldn't say that. We shouldn't say that. We don't know. This is all speculation. We can just say that we don't know for certain. You'll have to check and you know check your own facts. But some online universities that are reputable are a great model of the fact that online education is not lesser than. It can be done well. Mm, yeah. Other 
They're going to be like, yeah, how you like us now? Exactly. No, really. Mm. That people have been marginalized and it's been seen as less than, but here we are. Exactly. At this point in time, there's going to, oh gosh, there's going to be, literally, there's going to be video footage of people in their houses, decorating their houses for graduation, donning caps and gowns, probably walking across the, the proverbial stage, if you will. That's going to be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Solo graduations. Because it's not going anywhere for the next few months. It's really not. It's really not. Yeah. You can quote me on that. I mean, and not, I'm, I'd, I'd love to be done by Easter. That's great. But um, nope. So let me just say, I did a little bit of searching. University of Phoenix, um, in, they had a settlement at the end of 2019 to cancel $141 million in student debt. Because it is a for-profit college and there were some lawsuits. So, you know, not totally off on that, but. So they're still around. That I that you, believe is that you can true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that I thought was interesting that came out of this, when, when people were talking about social distancing, I mm-hmm. somebody tell me the citation because I can't find it because I like to cite people. I didn't make this up. But I read somewhere someone was talking about rather than thinking about it as social distancing, let's think about it as social spaciousness, giving each other the space that we need at this time. Like, I'm not distance from you. Distance is like arm's length. I'm keeping you away. Whereas spaciousness okay. is like, I'm giving you and me the space that we need. And you know what? For our health. Americans love our space. Yeah. We really do. Yeah. We don't like close stalkers. So this is kind of on par for what we need. Okay. Yeah, except, not really. No. I mean, not except there are people who are being total jerks. Like, oh, you're one of those social distancing people. Right. Like my little... um interaction that I had at Walgreens where I got cussed out for asking somebody to get off of my social distancing square that Walgreens had set up for me to stand in. Yeah. He told me that I was, and I quote, fucking crazy. And then what'd you say? I said, it's not crazy yet. I said, but it will be. And then what'd he do? I don't know. I turned around because I didn't want to talk to him because he was too close to me and he was violating my six foot rule. Mm. The six foot rule. Yeah. He backed up eventually. Yeah, it's fascinating. And our government is just not helping. Like, if you look at these dynamics, so St. Louis City and St. Louis County worked together to do the stay-at-home order. Our state, Missouri, has not. And that, that makes, that it, it fits the pattern. It fits yeah. the pattern. We're a red state, but we're a blue city. And Missouri. I'm not just talking like Democrat, Republican, although right now, that's what I'm saying when I say blue and red. I was going to say. No, I am. You were. Okay. All right. I am right cool, now. Cool. All right. But my critique is bigger than that. So right now we're seeing this like pattern of, of red states feeling like they have to follow Trump and he's, he's not, he's minimizing. He's not really taking to heart the public health people over profits perspective Um, and it, it saddens me and it makes me angry and it makes me, yeah, I mean, it makes me really, really angry. But then I just think about beyond red and blue, just the politics of our country. Mm. I'm just trying not to be surprised and not be too dismayed at how capitalism doesn't allow for us to take the break that we know we need for our health. I agree. 
And I see some good coming out of this whole process too. I think. What do you see coming out of this? I see people finding other alternative ways to teach their children, alternative ways to make use of their time and grow and develop themselves. You think? I mean, maybe. I, hey, I've threatened how many times? At least, at least once a year, threatened to homeschool my children and just thought, I can't do it. <laughs> at least three or four times a year. Oh, more? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I I really have just, I know that public education is a one-size-fits-all model. And for one of our children in particular, and for both of them, really, it just doesn't fit. Right. We've made it fit because I feel like the psychologist in me is like the socialization, the lessons that he, that he will learn as he engages other people and advocates for himself through the system are are useful. And that's what it's really about, right? It's about the social, I mean- it's about the socialization of children. At the end of the day, that's what it's primarily about. There's a lot of unspoken things that happen in school, and that's why you go. But then there's but so then, much a part of me that it's like, I don't, I'm so, I want my children to be able to question the status quo. Why am I, why am I towing the status quo? I haven't said this to you, but, you know. Oh, here we kid, go. I mean, we will got... our kids go back to school? Oh, you mean like, oh, oh, like. You mean next year? Yeah. And the so you're you're thinking about transitioning to homeschool. That's really interesting, actually. So I've I've secretly thought about that as well. And depending on where we are and what space we're in, that may make sense. But it's interesting how these hiccups can cause you to really that that's really how change happens too. You see yourself and you see your life in a different way, and you're like, wait a minute, I can do this. I I can I can see myself homeschooling my children. I can see them getting what they need. Like we did okay with this, you know, during this period of time. So you have not told me that you've not said that to my face out loud, but I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised from you at all that you think that. And I've really kind of thought that too. I'm, I'm just wondering what's going to happen. I think there's going to be a lot of people when it comes to schooling, is schooling a thing? I said schooling. Yeah. Schooling and people's professions. I think things are going to get shaken up and they're going to reevaluate their lives. I think once you and maybe if I'm going to be some big conspiracy theory, I don't know if there's any one person who's really saying this, maybe in the White House, but you give people this break, you give them this time off, you show them what they don't need and all these dependencies that they have that they have uh, solidified in their head that they need or these things I have to do this this way, I need to work this way, I need to make income, I need to have make money this way. And you show them, oh, no, you don't. That's very disruptive. That's- I think that's why they're changing their tune. Okay, so we're on the same page. That's why I married you. I really think that's why they're changing their tune. They're Absolutely. like, oh, hell no. This could literally change the fabric Absolutely. of our nation. And you know what makes me, made me think about that? I mean, I've been through, I've worked through two recessions already. The, the tech bubble that busted, well, first of all, around 9-11. Um, when well, I so was, you, then you could argue three. Well, this is going to be the third one, if nothing else. What, wait, what are the three? Yeah, okay, sorry, let me let you go. No, this would be the third. The first would be the tech the tech reset, the tech boom, tech boom and bust, and then the um, lending situation, the mortgage and all that stuff, uh, which happened around what, 08? 07. 07, 08. Yeah. But so I, I think that was something I was, I won't say lucky, but I was fortunate to take out of the, the bad experience that was 9-11 was that I worked uh, for a software company, a software company that did work primarily for people on Wall Street. So all of our clients were on Wall Street and I had relationships with people um, and dealt with a lot of people that didn't make it through, a lot of people that whose lives were, were broken apart. But anyway, we saw a lot of people in our company 
our smaller tech startup kind of company, a mid-sized company that got laid off. Literally, you know, the weeks following, the week after uh, 9-11 occurred, it was on like a Tuesday, that next week, or by the end of the week, there were people that were coming in and security guards uh, there to keep the uprising from happening, I guess, or whatever. It was really kind of wild. And, you know, step in my office kind of thing. You know, we have to let you go. We're sorry uh, because we have to downsize because of the economy, because of the market, because the people that we support and we service no longer have the demand and have the money and the, the funds to pay you. Anyway, so all these things are happening. Thank God I was lucky enough to make it through two recessions. I mean, that's just amazing. I made it through two of these, these bubbles, um, mostly unscathed. But what I did see was I saw people who were laid off almost across the board, the people that I knew, the friends, the work friends that I had that were laid off, they turned, they literally, it was, it was not literally, but it was a, an actual lemons from, lemonade from lemons kind of situation where, for example, one friend I had, I don't even know if I told you about her, I used to sit across from her and she was a programmer analyst and taught me some things as well. She's very nice. She ended up going back after being a, a visual basic a C plus developer she ended up going back and her dream was to work with horses. She loved horses. She started and began and somehow got to the point where she owned a stable. And probably to this day, I don't keep up with her anymore, is probably working with horses. Something 180 degrees different from what she did. So I guess that's what I'm saying. That's my example is that you never know once you kind of get those shackles off of you or you get off that, you get off that track, whether somebody knocks you off the track or you jump off yourself, you never know what other options you have. Um, uh, for and another example, I mean, I worked at a large law firm. Even my my legal working example was I worked at a big firm here in the city, um, and you know they pay you great, and you know you're doing all this big legal work, and you're getting a ton of money. Well, moving from that to being a criminal defense attorney, being a public defender, you know most people are like, are you crazy? What are you doing? Well, the work matched who I was better. It, it just resonated better with me. Uh, it just sat better with me. It was something that I'd always wanted to do. Um, where's my point in that? I'm losing, I'm losing my point, but that po sometimes these moments that can jolt you actually set you on a course that's more right. in alignment I, with who you are. Thank you, baby. So, so it really showed me, uh, showed me another option. And, and that's something I kind of invoked myself. And I said, look, this is not working out. It's not what I want, but it put me on a track to show me something else that resonated with me better. And that sometimes people, and there's people in those situations now, they don't leave because of the money, the, the prestige or whatever it might be, but you miss out on the other opportunities and the other things you can be, things you can love to do. There's a whole other wor world of things out there is really what I'm saying. Yeah, I hear you. And there's a whole bunch of folks who right now, like they're finding that they're, so I'm hearing a lot of folks for whom like in terms of accessibility, mm -hmm. who were told this job can't be done from home and now it's right. being done from home and they're pissed. Like that feels so, that just burns. Yes. But then there's this whole other, I don't mean to be binary at all. These are not binary. And then there's this other group of folks who their job is so deeply rooted in face-to-face -face needing to be there. Correct. And they've lost, like if we think about restaurateurs right. or folks who make their living uh, doing like, well, some speaking gigs are going virtual, but you know, they're- They just need the, they depend on FaceTime depend of some, on fa some yeah. sort, a personal yeah. interaction. So it's just interesting how some people are in such tumult 
and others are realize, oh, wait, I can do this remotely. Right. And so I want to name that. There's a privilege there. There's 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 being lucky and then there's privileges privileges there by just having those kind of jobs. Um, I guess like you said, you've seen that you certainly have those kind that kind of job where you've learned that, oh, I can I don't need to be in front of anybody to do this job and do it effectively. I have some of that. I have a lot of that. There's more of that than I think people realize with my job actually. And maybe lawyers don't want to hear that. Maybe they think it makes them feel it makes them seem less important or something like that. But a lot of our work is done anyway, not FaceTime with the client or with a judge. So it shouldn't be a surprise. But it's really made me think about, I, I've, try, I've, had, I've tried to be careful because I, had, I do have criticisms for that mentality and that people that don't want to let that old way of thinking go. But I also want to acknowledge the people who, like you said, simply cannot do that. Business owners, people that are working in restaurants or something like that. It's, it's hard. And so I think I found during this whole process, I've tried to be mindful about that because I want to say stay at home, don't go to work. But there's a whole swatch of people that that's how they make their money and there really is no other way for them to get their income but when they are physically someplace or when other people physically come to their place or come to their place they they re- they rely on that social interaction and that interconnectedness to actually do their job so it's it's tough and i want to be sensitive to that um and then there's also the people who are taking care of us so the medical, medical staff, like my cousin who works in ICU and people who are nurses and doctors and first responders. That's a prime example. That's, I mean, they, yeah, they can't stay at home because we need them. Yeah. Shout out to them. Definitely. Cause mm-hmm. ooh, we, that's, Ooh, it's, it's interesting. The people that we need. And even if it's, it's people working in grocery stores, um, or the people who are work, who are driving the trucks, they get the stuff right. from A to B. The trucks, the support people for these types of roles, like the medical professionals and food resources or things like that. Yeah. It really Um, does kind of make you realize what really makes us churn. And I didn't realize that two thirds of our economy is us being consumers. Like we. Sounds right to me. I just never thought about it. I don't really think about those sorts of things. I did take economics, but. Yeah. Almost majored in it. I just missed it. I think that's a lot actually tying it in with kids just because and we're just talking here we don't have any we have a very high level agenda but i don't think we have anything specific we have to hit on i've been trying to talk with my kids about that lately our kids i've been trying to speak with them about that lately as far as you know well what do you want to do do you want to be consumers do you want to be producers um there's a time to be both right yeah no there is a time to be both and our economy relies on both yeah and it's, I mean, we sit in a privileged position to be able to, to, to sit here as, as people who create and consume and aren't just forced to be consumers. Right. Yeah. So I think in raising kids for me, I know I've, especially speaking with both of them at the old, the 13 year old now, because he's a little farther along naturally. Um, just trying to help him be mindful of that, you know, even, even comes to things like video games or watching TV, watching, you know, Fortnite is a big thing with our kids. They love, they love to play video games. They play things like Fortnite or whatever. And they've even gotten to the point now with something that seems so whack, but I get why they do it. I get it. I really do. Where they will watch YouTube videos of other kids playing video games. So it's like, there's layers to it. There's levels to it. But that's like, 
I don't watch tons of reality TV. Although, although I did start and finish, what is it? Love is Blind or whatever that show yeah. is called. So like that's us watching. I it too. That's well, us yeah. watching reality shows. We are watching, we are living our lives, watching other people live their lives. And it's fun, right? It's hilarious. It's entertaining. It's fun. So then it's, we shouldn't judge them so we much. We shouldn't judge them. But I also feel that as children, I think that without some guidance and without some without some guidance, that they would do that way more than not. I think people nowadays can be perfectly happy watching other people live out their lives. Yeah, that's not that's not what we want as a society. It's not what I want for my kids. It's not what I want for everyone's kids. It's not living. That's not. It's Call me not. old school. That ain't living. But it serves the status quo. If we think about like, what was the purpose of public education? Public education was about like this factory of, to create these factory, this, this, these workers that would be cogs in the capitalist wheel. It wasn't to create the, the big thinkers, the, the sure. creators of the world. And so maybe that's this generation of cogs, people who are who are complacent watching other people live their lives rather than actually living their lives. Oh, we have digressed. We have, but it's okay because that's what this is about. I mean, we're this whole our whole day is nothing but outside of work a series of digressions. It's just free flowing. It's not even that. It's just free flowing. There are no digressions when you're fr- when you're just flowing freely. But all that to say is, I think it's important though, because I, I mean, you have to think about what type of children you want to raise. And I want to raise children that can contribute to society, well, that maybe. can produce something that can help and be useful to other people, that can have, provide value and some sort of substance. And in order to do that, I think you have to do a little bit more than just take everything that comes your way and just take it in. Yeah. And Stare I, at a screen. And I guess maybe it's the teacher in me that feels the need to connect it back, but like how this links to the pandemic is that it's it gives us space to think about this sure. like outside well, somebody asked how are the boys doing and i said the boys are doing great i was like i think i've prepared them well in that they have they've lived very structured lives and so that this this almost feels like a vacation in a sense like someone was like are they feeling antsy and i'm like yeah i don't Actually, they're not because you know typically Chilling. it's school violin taekwondo basketball whatever activity right. it's pretty structured and so in a way this is kind of and it just makes me realize like what sort of rat race have i created for my kids and how do i want to shift things because i think in a way this has felt like a breath of fresh air to them almost yeah i i want to use i don't want to use the word rat race though cuz i think that there's Why? certain because I think there's certain obligations we have as parents, or, or we're not obligations, or there's things that we, values we have, things we want to do, like us taking young kids around to t-ball, um, a music lesson, lesson, going to the museum, this activity with this person, that person is a part of not just socializing, but it's a part of them exploring and learning what they like in the world. Yes, and so, that's very much class privilege that we can do that, because I know other people who will just talk about like... I was hungry for this and I went for it right. rather than we're like, let me show you the menu of options in your life. Right. Well, and you choose. There's, there's levels to it. Right. So, I mean, we always acknowledge our privilege. We certainly have a certain privilege. Uh, we have a, just with our education and with the things that we've been able to do in our lives. And we're thankful for that, but there's levels to it. So there's 
other things that we would have our kids do if we had the resources and the time and we don't do those things. So it's, I guess I get what you're saying, but still at the end of the day, you take what you have and you show your, you want to show your kids something different because you want them to be turned on to different things. You want them to be enlightened and to find, I think most parents want them to find something that will make them happy or find their passion. But that's a very, that is a very class, classed endeavor, right? Like to even say, I want you to find, and I'm saying, I want them to find their passion and find what Mm -hmm. turns them on and excites them and be able to live that. Right. But that's very different than someone being like, yeah, and so your job is to make money to live or your job is a trade to be able to do something that's useful. It's not your life's work. It's not your your passion, your job is a functional thing rather than aligning with your soul. So, and we're not really in an argument about no, this. No, we're I think not. we're saying similar things. I guess what I'm, I'm speaking from our experience right here at where we are, acknowledging that there's people that do things differently to the left and to the right based upon whatever they know, whatever they have. I mean, I think, for example, if someone's goal is just to have their kids graduate from high school, it might be because that's what they can see and that's and that's what they're able to you know that's that's their concern based upon their situation and they want them to you know whatever it might be whatever you know it's it, if it just they want them to be able to have a minimum wage job or something like that so that they can which is not going to get them what they need we're not going to go there but there can be different types of aspirations but i think overall the point is is that you want to see your children do well or do better and you want you want to give the, and so whatever the way whatever way you know to do that is the way you do that. You do that with what you have. I think we're saying the same thing, and I'm acknowledging that you're right. Everybody doesn't have the same things, and then there's some other people. You know, I don't know, like Kobe. You know, rest in heaven, rest rest in greatness is you know taking his kids to practice every other day or whatever in a helicopter. That's not the way I roll. And that's what he did because he said, I, this is what I need to enrich my kids and get them what they want. Mm-hmm. I'm going to build a whole league around I'm them. A, I'm going to build an entire league. You know, I'm going to, you know, buy a building or do whatever. And <laughs> right. And we're going to take a helicopter to go there because, you know, LA traffic is pain in the ass. So everybody has their own approach, but it's, it's taking what you have and trying to put your kids onto something else so that they can be great in whatever way they need, yeah. whatever way they can, because you love them. It's just, that's how you love your children. It's true. Yeah. I mean, we've gone a lot of different places, but I think the gist is the pandemic has pushed us to pause and think about things differently, to oh, yeah. literally do things differently and to think about things differently. And so we'd love to hear from you all, like, what is it, what has it caused you to do differently I've been asking people, what have you learned? What do you need to remember? What do you, what have you learned and what do you want to remember? And uh, just in closing, I would say one of the things I've learned is that my busyness is, is very much self-imposed and that I, and in some ways, like it's the way that I do things and I kind of, I like it, True, but it's not necessary. True. And so what I want to remember is to make sure that I that I'm intentional about keeping space available for myself and for my family. I don't know what that looks like exactly yet, but I'm I'm definitely exploring it amidst the pandemic. What have you learned? What do you want to remember? I think that I've learned that it doesn't take a lot 
to make me happy. We get, I get caught up in doing a lot of things, going a lot of places, interacting with a lot of people, and I love doing that. But I've learned that this is a great place to start and that, that pretty much everything I need, for the most part, has been in this building, in this house. Yeah, I mean, it's good to know that that you pretty much like the people that you live with. Yeah, I think that I've learned just to understand. I've learned this before from the past, though. But things can be pulled out from under you. The way of your way of living, your expectations, your, this daily grind that we go on, like you said, this rat race, that can all change at a moment's notice. And you'd better have something to anchor. I mean, you don't have to, but it's it's nice to have something to anchor to and to be grounded with that's that's not all that those things aren't they can be fleeting jobs and activities and other things but it's nice to have something that's solid it's nice to have family absolutely well thank you all for joining us as we reflect and podcast amidst the pandemic it's going to be a while before things get quote unquote back to normal. And so I want us to continue to create space to reflect, to learn, and to grapple with what we want to remember and how we will remember it. Word. Thanks for joining us on Raising Equity.